Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Today we've got a nuclear revenge involving rotten eggs. We'll get to that in a bit, but first... Racist boss fires my friend, so we sabotaged his presentation. I thought I'd seen it all as a teenager when I was working for the owner of a burger shack, Mr. Walsh. He was the craziest boss I ever encountered. Well, to be fair, the only boss I had ever encountered at the time. He docked my pay for even the tiniest oversight, like forgetting to turn my phone into silent mode during working hours, or wearing my net in a way that didn't cover every single strand of hair on my head. His usual justification for his actions was that he was doing me a favor because the real world won't be as kind. Let's be fair, we all know that the dude was just ripping me off, but as I started my career in marketing, I began to see that Mr. Walsh wasn't the worst evil out there. And there were even worse things than constant yelling and pay docs, and that worst thing came as my boss at the marketing department, Mr. E. He wasn't just the worst boss ever, he was also the worst person I've ever seen, and I've been constantly bullied through high school. Mr. E wasn't only a yeller or an expert in the art of humiliation, he was also a big time racist. That didn't bode well for me or my friend Jamal. We got the brunt of everything, and whenever anything went wrong in the company, he pointed the finger at us. But one day, he took it too far. He fired Jamal, and I knew that I was going to be next if I didn't do something to stop it. So I did do something, but let's start with how Jamal and I came to be working at the same firm. It was the final year of business school, and I was freaking out about mid-semester tests. I haven't been able to study as hard as I needed to because I'd been working part-time to pay my bills. My roommate Jamie was no help. He was something of a math genius, but... He preferred to spend the better part of his day watching movies and playing video games. I don't blame him though. He's the best student in his class and I've never seen him pick up a book. Jamie was trying to convince me to play some games with him, but I wasn't having it. So I left the house to go to the library. I got there only to find that the library is at full capacity. Lots of people were taking the tests seriously. I had to look for somewhere else to study. Somewhere quiet. I didn't have a lot of options because Jamie had friends over, and those guys tend to make a lot of noise. I could go to a friend's place in the dorm, but while the dorm was a lot of things, it wasn't a silent place suitable for reading. I needed to go somewhere else. I sat on one of the campus park benches as I brainstormed places to study, but nothing came up. But just when I was about to give up, I saw one of my classmates. I knew his name was Jamal and he was really smart, but that was all I knew about him at the time. He was carrying a pile of books and was walking briskly to somewhere. I sprang up from the bench and hurried over to meet him. He didn't really recognize me because I wasn't really close with any of my classmates, so I had to introduce myself. Then I asked him if he was going to study. He said yes, and then I begged him to let me tag along with him. He said it was fine because he was going to a class study group anyways. 
We got to an apartment building and walked into one of the apartments that belonged to one of my course mates. I said hi to everyone and the study session began, which was led by Jamal. 11 hours and 9 cups of coffee later, we were done with the business analysis crash course. I was really happy about my progress because I never thought I could finish the course outline in time for the tests. I thanked Jamal profusely and he told me that I still had work to do. Then he pointed out the areas I needed to study and I thanked him once more. It was dawn already when I left my course mate's apartment. I had to hurry back to my apartment to take a shower. I had the morning shift at work and I couldn't be late. I contemplated taking a short nap but with how tired I felt, I wasn't going to wake up in time for work. Jamie walked out of his room looking for something I guess. He asked me where I was the night before and I told him about the study group. He shrugged and walked into the kitchen. Then I turned around and went to work. After my shift ended, I came back home and started to study in my room. Then I came across a question that needed better explanation. I scrolled through my phone and then I remembered that I didn't collect his number. There was no way to reach him. I couldn't even go to campus to look for him because I didn't know where he was going to be. I skipped the question and then continued my studying. The next time I saw Jamal was on the day of the test. He was talking to some course mates and I went over to say hi. We talked for a while and I asked him the question I had when I studied the areas of the outline he gave me. A few minutes later, the lecturer came in and the test started. I had never been so surprised in my life when I did the test. It was so effortless. 90% of the areas Jamal advised me to read was what came out in the questions. And I was finished with the tests, close to 30 minutes before the end of the test. I went over and thanked him for everything, and I asked him how he knew about the areas where the questions would be from. He shrugged and explained that he knew the lecturer, and he'd read his past questions. And he had noticed that she never changed questions, only the values. I made sure to collect his number that time, and when we were leaving... The guy who owned the apartment invited us all to hang out at his place. I said sure, and we all went there. We had a few drinks, and Jamal and I had an in-depth talk about life and our goals and dreams. Then Jamal told me about the internship he'd been working on. He explained that the company was still taking more interns, and after six months if they liked our performance, we would be employed. I was thrilled at the prospect. It was a paid internship that guaranteed me a job after six months as long as I did my work well. I told him sure I was interested in the internship, and the next day after my shift, I came home to draft my application letter. I sent the email, and a few days later they reached out to me. I was supposed to come in for an interview the next Monday. I reached out to Jamal and he helped me get ready. Then on Monday I went for the interview. They were very impressed with the way I answered the questions, and even before I got back home from the interview, I got an email to start the next week. I was so happy, and when I broke the news to Jamal, he decided that we needed to celebrate. He invited me to a frat house party the next day. There we talked about the internship. He was already in his fourth month, and that meant he was going to get a full-time job straight out of the gates. We had a few more drinks, and I went home. I still had work the next day. I was going to quit that Friday so I could focus on the internship. The next week, I started at the marketing department of the firm. It was so much fun because I was learning so much. Even though I was mostly fetching coffee and making photocopies, Jamal had built quite a large fan base in the office, and everyone seemed to like him. He wasn't just brilliant, he was also funny, and he always knew the right thing to do or say. 
At the time I resumed with the firm, he was working as something of the personal assistant for the head of the marketing department. Less than two months later, we wrote our final exams, and with Jamal by my side, I passed with flying colors. That last semester, I got the best grades I ever got since I started college, and it was all because of his help. A few weeks later, Jamal's internship ended, and he was offered a full-time job at the company. We, along with some college and work friends, went out for drinks that night to celebrate the news. The next few months in the company were even better, because I didn't have school to worry about. My performance improved drastically, and I was so sure I was going to get retained by the company. But everything changed a month before I was supposed to be retained in the company. The head of the marketing department retired from his job, and a new head of the department was brought in, and all that I was was happy that the former head of marketing gets to move on to the next chapter of his life. The new boss didn't seem so bad either. When he gave his speech, he made some quite funny jokes and I thought it was all good, but the opposite was the case. A few days after the new boss, Mr. E, started working in the firm, he stormed out of his office one day and walked up to Jamal's desk. He started to yell at him about a certain file he asked him to deliver that morning. Jamal delivered the file, but Mr. E didn't properly check his desk. When Jamal pointed it out to him, he accused Jamal of being rude. What? You came up at the guy, humiliating him in front of the whole office, and he was the one being rude? He eventually found the file on his desk, but he wasn't even close to finished. The next day, Mr. E needed coffee, and while there was an array of new interns who were falling head over heels to get him a cup of coffee, he walked up to my desk, then not so politely told me to leave my desk and fetch him a cup of coffee. I was kind of annoyed to be honest, but I was still an intern, even though I had only two weeks left before I was retained by the company. Over the next few days, Mr. E made me his personal servant, not assistant this time, servant and even did his dry cleaning and he didn't lay off jamal either it was as though he was actively finding fault in everything he did it was always one complaint or the other one evening after work jamal and i decided to get drinks we discussed the horrors of working under mr e and why he seemed to get along with everybody else but us two after a few drinks the answer came to me we were the only people of color in the whole marketing firm. Jamal and I were both black. Suddenly, it all became so clear. It had always seemed that he had some form of hatred for us, and we were right. Mr. E was racist. With that new information, I wasn't even sure I wanted the job anymore. I couldn't work in a hostile work environment where I was discriminated against because of my color. It was wrong, and I was sure I could find somewhere else to work. But Jamal convinced me that it was a crazy idea to run when it got tough, and he was sure it was all going to be better the next day. The next day was even more tragic than normal. Mr. E stormed out of his office with a sheet of paper in hand. He walked over to slam it on Jamie's desk, and then he asked him why he hadn't submitted a report that he had asked him for earlier that day. Jamie tried to reason with him that he was still working on the report, and he told him to work on it less than 10 minutes ago. He called out Jamie for talking back to his superior once again, and before I knew it, he fired Jamie. I couldn't believe my eyes or ears. Jamie was one of the best workers in the department, and if Mr. E could fire him because of race, that meant he could fire anyone. 
That evening, I met up with Jamal at the bar, and he wasn't doing good. He loved his job, and he had invested so much of himself into it. I tried consoling him, but it didn't work. All he could think of was going back to the office to beg for his job back. I told him I had a better idea. There was no guarantee that he would get his job back, even if he begged for it. So why not remove that obstacle that would make it even harder for him to get his job back? Jamal didn't understand what I was saying, and I didn't explain any further. The next day, I went back to work with a game plan in mind. Mr. E had to go. Even if not for Jamie, but for everybody of color in the firm. He had fired Jamie, so next he was going to set his sights on me. And if I get fired, it was over. So I waited a few days till he did the practice presentation for the presentation he wanted to make for some of our Arabian investors. He was using a projector and a big screen with a remote control to change the slides. It took me two days, but I finally found a remote control that looked exactly like the other. Next, I worked on the files he was going to present. One day after work, Mr. E had gone home. So, I went to his computer and slipped in some adult entertainment videos. The exact type of ones that I was sure would anger the Arabian investors. The one with the hijab and stuff. The next day was presentation day and everybody from the marketing team was in the conference room. Then, Mr. E stood up to give his presentation. I was the one controlling the remote device, but he had no idea because every time he clicked, it changed. Then, one time, he clicked on the next slide, and it was a video of a man and woman going at it. The workers and investors gasped slightly as they saw the video. Mr. E tried to change it, but I let it play on for a little while longer. Then I clicked on the next slide, which was more of the same content. Eventually, the investors stormed off, saying they didn't come to the company to be insulted. As the CEO rushed out of the conference room trying to beg them to stay, he whispered a quick, You're fired, to Mr. E, who was still as dumbfounded as someone who tried to make a killer presentation but ended up insulting the investors. I hurried into the toilet and had a huge laugh about it. Now I was free, and Jamie could come back and beg for his job back, and all was right in the world. There's a small amount of collateral damage here exposing these people to content they didn't sign up for, but I think leaving the story, you can't feel too bad about the fate and the outcome that became of this boss. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Our next story is Jerk Neighbor Trashed My Party So I Vandalized His Apartment With Rotten Eggs 
All my life, I've always been a city guy. I was born and raised in one of the busiest cities in the country, and even with all the noise, the smell, the tiny overpriced apartments, and the scarcity of parking spaces, I still loved it. The suburbs, on the other hand, I hated with a passion. I always detested the times when I was still a kid, and I had to go to my grandparents' house for Thanksgiving. I mean, it's usually a lovely get-together, but being in a place as big and quiet as the suburbs kind of makes me feel nauseous. I even hated the concept of single homes at the time. I felt like it was a waste of space and it also keeps the neighbors too far away. Forgive me, I was a kid then. I didn't understand that you needed to get your neighbors away from you as humanly possible because they're mostly jerks. I learned that the hard way with my neighbor Taylor. The dude was the snobbiest uptight jerk I have ever met. Everything that came out of his mouth was so pretentious that at one point I just decided that I was done with him. Unfortunately, he wasn't done with me. He decided that he hadn't annoyed me enough, so he decided to ruin my party by calling the police when one of the guests decided to smoke a little weed. It was at that point I decided that one of us had to leave the building, and it wasn't going to be me, so I made him leave. But how did it all begin? Let's start with my time in the college dorm. I started college with the expectation that I was going to get my place in my first year. That didn't quite work out because my mom didn't have enough money. I didn't want to split the rent with anyone because I didn't like the concept of roommates. I've always had this underlying fear that I'd wake up to see my hands and feet bound as my roommate and some other dudes chant some satanic jargon as they were about to sacrifice me to their god. I think I watched a movie like that somewhere and it just kind of stuck. I decided that since I couldn't rent the apartment on my own, it was better to stay in the dorm. The people who lived there were all students, and they should all be less prone to want to sacrifice their roommate to the devil. Besides, if they proved murdery, I could always scream as loud as possible, and the students in the other rooms could come and see what was wrong. It felt safer, basically, so I decided to go for it. I walked into my dormitory the first day I resumed and I hated it instantly. My roommate Lloyd was playing a video game and he had a song playing on the speaker. It was way too high. I didn't say anything at the time because I couldn't pick a fight on the first day. That didn't feel right. The next few days went on like that. Before I leave for class and when I came back, I would meet Lloyd on his bunk, chewing a piece of gum, playing a video game, and listening to music at an unreasonably high volume. One time, I couldn't take it anymore and I complained to him about it. That afternoon, what was supposed to be a civilized conversation between two adults became a really intense argument that almost came down to a fist fight. I left the room before that happened though, not because I was scared, although I was sure he would have handed my butt to me if we actually fought, but because I needed to take time to myself to cool down. The next few weeks were not any better. In fact, it started to look like he was doing things to intentionally frustrate me. I even went ahead to submit a complaint to the school board to change roommates, but they didn't get back to me. One time, I just decided to start spending more time outside than in the dorm room. If I had assignments or I wanted to study, I would go to the library. I only came back to the room if I wanted to sleep. The next year, I was free of Lloyd. I was sure that the worst was over, and my new roommate could not be as bad as Lloyd. How wrong I was. The next guy, Hewitt, wasn't as loud as Lloyd, but he was a big time slob. 
He never made his bed, and I never once saw him change the sheets on his bed. He could stay up playing video games for days on end, but he couldn't take out 15 minutes each day to take a bath. He bathes once a week, twice max, and he's always leaving empty Starbucks cups and burger wrappers on the ground. I would have taken loud over slob anytime, any day. One day, I carried out an experiment and I decided to see how long it would take him to finally throw out a half-eaten burger that he had forgotten on his table. It took 12 days, and I still had to throw it out myself, because I just couldn't stand to look at it anymore. I had to endure another year of that. Then in my third year, my roommate Connor seemed slightly better. He was a cool guy and we had lots in common, but he was always having people over in the room. I didn't know how they did it, but they were always sneaking a beer in and throwing a mini party. I would have been fine with that if they kept their hangouts during the daytime, but sometimes, most times actually, they preferred to hang out at night. Connor was always apologizing for the noise and everything, but he never did anything differently. By the end of that school year, I had decided that enough was enough, and I was going to get an apartment of my own. That summer, I got a job as a waiter in a bar close to my mom's house. I didn't have to spend a lot of money because I could walk to work every day, and since I lived at home, I didn't have to pay any bills. I could save all my money. The job was stressful and I didn't get off work till about 3am in the morning, and I had a boss that was always yelling at me to move faster. It wasn't the best gig in the world, but I made some money. By the end of the summer holiday, I had saved enough money for rent for a few months. My mom helped with the rest, and it was all set. I moved in a few days later into my own apartment. No more roommates to litter the apartment, no extremely loud music, and definitely no crowded room. It was perfect. That first day, I sat in the living room to just breathe in what peace felt like. I did really weird things those first few days. The next day, I decided to unpack. It was a Monday, but I wasn't having classes till the late afternoon, so it was fine. A few minutes into unpacking, I heard a knock on my door. It was kind of strange because I wasn't expecting anybody. I walked over to the door and pulled it open. There was a man at the door. He looked twice my age, maybe a bit older, and he had a pair of spectacles on. He looked me over from head to toe. Then, without greeting or introducing himself, he handed me a sheet of paper. He told me that those are the rules that everybody in the apartment need to adhere to. That was kind of surprising because I'd already talked to the landlord, and he'd already told me the few rules and regulations for living in the building. When I tried to raise these concerns, he turned around and left. I didn't know what to make of it, so I closed my door, walked back to my couch, and read through the rules. I found most of the rules on the sheet really absurd, like one that says no running in the hallway, or another one that says guests that aren't staying around should leave the building by or before 11. Now I get that some of those rules might have been put there with the safety of the people living in the apartment in mind, but most of them were too unreasonable. I shrugged it off and then continued unpacking. That evening, I stepped out of my apartment, and as I did, I saw a girl turning into the hallway. She looked familiar, so I kept staring for a while. When she saw me, she returned my gaze and then smiled brightly at me. She walked up to me and introduced herself as Caroline. She was in my literature class. We talked for a while about school and our expectations for the final year of college. 
Then our conversation shifted to the apartment. When I asked her how long she had stayed, she said since the day she resumed college. Then I asked her about the pretty absurd rule sheet I was given by someone who I had assumed at that point was the caretaker. Caroline laughed wildly, then told me not to worry about it. She told me that the caretaker's name is Taylor, and he wasn't in fact a caretaker. He was one of the tenants that lived a floor below me, and he made the rule sheet for every new tenant in the building. She told me to ignore him because he was only going to get more annoying. We laughed it off and proceeded to commute to campus together. The next day was lecture free, so I had the whole day to myself to finish unpacking. I got a text from Caroline that she wanted to come over and hang out. I said sure, and a few minutes later she was in my apartment, helping me with the moving boxes. Caroline was a music freak. I had known that in the last 15 or so hours I spent with her the day before. So when she told me there was a playlist she wanted me to listen to, I wasn't surprised. She plugged it into my speaker, and we were listening to the songs while we worked. Less than 20 minutes later, we heard a loud knock at the door. She paused the music while I went to open the door. It was Taylor. I tried to say hello, but he wasn't in the mood for pleasantries. Just like the day before, he stepped in without a word and walked over to my speaker. He turned it off, then looked back at me. He went on a 10 or 20 minute long rant about how I was disturbing the whole building with my loud music and that he was doing me a favor by turning off the speaker because someone downstairs was already calling the police to report the disturbance. An obvious lie. If anybody was calling the police, it would be him. Anyways, he left my apartment, and before I could say anything, Caroline turned the music back on, this time even louder. I asked her why she did that and she said it was fine because we didn't do anything wrong. We weren't going over the regulated volume limit. Besides, I shouldn't let him tell me what to do in my apartment. We laughed it off and then continued with the unpacking. Over the next few weeks and months, Taylor stopped by almost every day to point out things I'm doing wrong. Most of the time I just ignore him, while some other times I resort to yelling for him to leave me alone and slamming the door in his face. This happened for a whole year, and after our final exams, Caroline and I decided to throw a party. We invited most of our course mates from class for the get-together, and we made sure to set the music below the regulated volume. But as usual, Taylor came in to complain about how loud we were being. At the time, when I opened the door, I had no idea that one of the guys behind me had pulled out a stick of pot and was lighting it as I talked to Taylor. He must have seen the guy because he apologized for his mistake and left my apartment in a hurry. I turned back and saw the guy smoking a stick and I told him instantly to put it out. We lived in Pennsylvania and recreational weed was illegal. The guy promised that it was his only stick, so I decided to let him finish. Less than 10 minutes later, the police arrived at my doorstep with Taylor standing closely behind. They broke up the party, then arrested the guy smoking the weed. They also fined me for allowing something illegal to happen in my apartment, and my landlord was even considering throwing me out of the apartment. I had to beg him not to. The days after the incident at the party, Caroline and I sat in the living room, discussing what a mess the party was and what went wrong. We didn't need to think too much. It was Taylor. All the problems we've had in that apartment was Taylor. So we decided that he had to go, but how are we going to do it?
Caroline came up with the idea to vandalize his apartment. We bought two cartons of eggs, then we poked holes at the top of the shell of each egg, then we put the eggs in a box under my bed. We had to wait for three weeks for the eggs to get rotten, and at that time, we watched Taylor's movement to know when it was best to invade his apartment. Three weeks later, the rotten eggs were ready, and on Wednesday that week, Taylor went on his jog. We hurried to his apartment, making sure to be as quiet as possible. The building was an old one, so it didn't have CCTV in the hallway. We picked the locks on his door and then got to work. We broke the eggs on the wall, his kitchen cupboard, and then his closet. Next, we messed up his couch and then his Italian rug. Then we left the apartment. We made sure to pick up all the eggshells, and we left no trace that we were there in the apartment. So, when Taylor came back, we were laughing in my apartment while he screamed and yelled in the hallway. He couldn't figure out who vandalized his apartment, because he was messing with almost all the tenants at the time, and any one of them could have decided to get back at him. Taylor left the apartment that day, and even when the cleaning services got it cleaned up, he decided not to come back, for fear that it was just going to happen again. I think more than anything, I'm just impressed that some stickler for the rules, who's always watching what everybody does and breathing down everybody's necks, would just give up on the first go like that. But maybe they knew they had a huge target on their back, and maybe once it started rolling downhill, they knew it would only get bigger and bigger. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another absolutely crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.